Welcome back to Multi Stories. I'm Alma. And I'm Oriana. And today we have Rosa producing the show. Hello. Uh, so just to give you a reminder of what we're all about, in case this is your first time listening to the show, Multi Stories is a brand new podcast focused on giving a platform to emerging writers, allowing them to hear their work read out loud by a group of professional actors. After that, we then have a quick chat with our guest about their work, their lives as writers and anything else that might come up. And as we're celebrating emerging artists, we'd also like to share some new music with you at the end. So without further ado, let us introduce you to today's guest, the incredible Jordana Belaish. Hi there. Jordana, hello. just to begin, hello. hello. It's so wonderful to have you here with us. Wonderful to be here. So could you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, uh, I'm Jordana Belaish. I'm a theatre practitioner and an occult scholar. And I trained as a dramaturg at Royal Central School of Speech and Drama because I thought that was a good idea. Um, and graduated in 2018. Um, I've been writing for stage since 2017. And um, I do have a background in commercial theatre uh, as a performer, but it's very different to the work that I do now. And uh, I also run a collective called Don't Tell the Village Elders, um, which is all about reclaiming spiritual practices from capitalism and colonialism. So I do that as well. Wow, awesome. Oh, wow. Amazing. Well, we'll have a chance after the reading to go um, in, into a bit further into your, your other projects and, and where the play fits in. But just to begin, uh, let's start. We're going to be reading an extract uh, from scene four until scene eight. And today we have Oriana Buckland reading Holly, uh, Alma Prelag, myself reading Ivy, and Rosa Samuels reading Nameless. Yes. And just before we start, would you mind giving us a little synopsis, hopefully without giving too much away, of what we're about to hear? Yes. So you're about to hear an extract from my play Beneath, uh, in which we get a glimpse of Uh, Holly and Ivy's relationship, their friendship, Um, and Ivy has an unnerving encounter with something or someone at Hampstead Ponds in the middle of a summer's night. Thank you very much. Do you want a peach? I'm all right. Have a peach. No, really, I'm fine. They're really nice. I don't want one. I got them from the nice grocers. Keep your peach, please. The nice one on the hill. I don't care where you got them. With the flower stall outside. Peonies are in bloom now. Are they? Yes, they are. What about a plum? I don't want a plum either. Go on, they're only little. Don't want any fruit, thanks. There's nothing better than fresh fruit after a swim. It's organic. Why do you want me to eat your fruit? Also have some banana chips... But dry fruit isn't really the same, is it? Give us a plum, then. I just want to make things nice. Are nice. Yes, but I want it to be a whole experience. Bean inexperienced. No, but I wanted everything to be nice today. Only the ponds. No, it's the ponds. Really? I don't follow. It's the ponds. Yes, we've established that. We are experiencing the ponds. We are at the ponds. This is an experience. Yeah, we have one every year. But it's different every year. Is it? 
because we are different every year, and so are the ponds. Looks the same to me. The ponds have been here all winter, of course, and all spring too, but for us, this is the first time we've been here in a year. And this makes it a transcendent experience that requires us to stuff ourselves on organic fruit because... It's about emergence. Rebirth. We're being reborn. Yes. I feel brand new. Not just us. Hmm? The ponds are being reborn. For us. Right. We are experiencing them anew. We've been here loads of times. Not this year. Not yet this year. Exactly. This first experience of the ponds this year that we will have. It will set the tone for all the other times we come here this year and we will think back to this moment, the first one, and remember how nice it was. Right. Because actually, there is only now. That's the only moment we are ever experiencing, the ever-existent present. You think that's mad, don't you? Yeah, I do. This is why I don't say anything. What are you talking about? You talk all the time. This is why it's just better if I don't say anything, because You've you... You've been doing nothing but saying things for the past hour. You just think that I am talking about absolutely nothing. Literally, that is all you've been doing, It's Holly. just so much better if I just sit here and say nothing. I have no idea what you're on about half the time, and it just seems like... It's just fine for you to be annoyed and sulky. You actually only want someone to tell the you time. what you're saying is great and fantastic and amazing. But actually, sometimes I just want to have a good time, okay? That's all. I want to have. But what you're saying is utter shite, and I care about you, so I'm not going to pretend that it's not. What I'm saying is shite. No, that's, that's not what I meant to say. Sorry, utter shite. I just meant you can go on a bit. No, you said it was utter shite. Right. No, Holly... You know, it's not like I haven't been saying this kind of stuff the whole time. Yeah. As I recall, you were pretty interested in my utter shite when we were both chatting it in meetings. We weren't chatting shit. When you were so keen to flex your little muscles as a big-time activist. Babe! No, and when we were lying completely fucked on shrooms in What's-A-Face Garden right after we met. Sorry. When we were completely fucked on shrooms in Maisie's garden. By the way, I know you shagged her right before, and by the way, everyone could see, because thanks to her massive fuck-off glass garden doors, we all could see right through to the living room. I happen to recall you chatting quite a bit of shite then. I thought you were into living in the now, the ever-existent present. Or when you were trying to get in with those astrology girls after you dragged me to that elemental magic talk, I seem to recall you chatting quite a lot of shite about ancestral trauma. Which actually is utter shite, Ivy, because your ancestors were landowners in East Anglia. No, okay, you enjoyed the talk. I said I enjoyed the talk. I only booked it because you're the one into astrology. Just like I said... It was fine that you wanted to go and smoke with that Libra Sun, Leo Moon Aquarius Rising who wanted to talk about her culty art project. So was that not fine? Was I supposed to read your mind and determine that what I thought you were being cool about was actually you being childishly passive-aggressive? Well, you told her you were telepathic. No, <laughs> no. Okay. Sometimes I just can't follow along with what you're on about and it gets quite annoying, all these attempts at being poetic. Attempts? Yes, Holly, sometimes it seems a little contrived. Okay. Well, seeing as you can't follow, don't follow me in, all right? Holly. I see ripples, dark circles bending out, outwards across the surface of the black, of the deep, where something moves in the depths. I see, inside, 
on heron stands, a heron standing on the water, on the floating, on the perching. Little ducklings are out. Duckling, ducklings in the sweet, aren't they sweet? Look, their feet, the way they paddle. Read it to me again. Why? Just read it again. So you can mock me? No, just read it. All right. The air feels fragile, like it's about to be broken. The haze of light descends, a curtain, a mist. A mist of light? I knew you wanted to mock. No, I just want to see it, and I can't see it. Well, okay. okay. Mist can't be light. Mist is water. Poetic license. The haze of light descends, a curtain, a mist. It wraps the land up, the sky, the strands of yellowed grass rough to the touch. The wooden fences gleam. Do they? Do they gleam? No, okay. No, they don't gleam. Yeah. Am I not allowed to say that they gleam? No. Why? Be because they don't. They, they don't. You're making some pseudo-fairy fantasy. What, lovelier than it is? Yes, much lovelier. Yes, but... Poetic. If you say poetic license, I am going to scream. You'll disturb lots of people if you scream. I'll need to express the anguish I will feel internally. Those women over there might chuck you out. Has anyone ever actually been chucked out the ponds? Probably. For safety or something. Yeah, not the actual ponds. I mean, like this bit. I doubt it. What about at night? It's closed at night. Yeah. People still come in. What? No, they don't. Yeah, they do. They jump the fence. But there are patrols. Yeah, but they probably don't care if people are messing about in the ponds. I think they might. There are lifeguards during the day. Yeah, but at night, there aren't exactly rules, are there? What if something happened? I've been in at night. Have you? Yeah. You didn't tell me. Yeah, it was really nice. Why didn't you tell me? I don't know. Not really important, is it? Describe it, please. Not if you're going to write it down. Please. The water was really warm. How warm? I don't know. I didn't have a thermometer. No, but if you had to guess. Like, room temperature? Room temperature? Yeah. We're outside. Okay. Lukewarm. Like a leftover tea. You swam in tea? It is basically tea with all the plants. It's not tea. An infusion. It is not tea. It was warmer than I expected. Water is warmer at night. Okay, but I wasn't really thinking about year nine geography, was I? I was just surprised the water was warm because during the day it's normally fucking freezing. All right, go on. The water was really dark. Well, obvs. As dark as the sky, and I could see the stars above and then below in the reflection of the water, and I lay back and drifted, and it was like swimming in the sky. And, and then I got scared I might drown and... There was no one to pull me out, so I left. Hmm. Did you just write that down? Yeah, do you mind? Would you stop if I did? No. Okay. You don't mind, though. Pale limbs. An arm. Leg. Weight of the body in the water. Moves slow and steady, up, down, even in the, this dark... I don't know why I did it. Jumped the fence, snuck in. It's hot, 
I'm high. I feel the sweat of the day sticking to my skin, and paranoia begins like always when I smoke too much. Hair tendrils rolling out under the surface, tentacles of hair, and that that her body moving up down in the water. Just looking at the water makes me thirsty for something I can't drink. Sunset passes, and the water looks like a glassy black pit now, though I'm sure Holly would think of something better. She's here. She's here, white, pale flesh, like arms and hands, like, look like, could be. I want to be in the water so badly. My, my whole being just wants to be part of the pond. Bats are flying past the trees, in and out of the branches, dipping down at the furthest part for drinks. I've never seen them here. It's surreal, like watching a documentary. Wings and flight. Wish I could walk, pillowy feather down, feather flight, crease and crumple, duck down, crouch back out. I peel off my clothes, don't bother to fold them. The concrete is still hot under my bare soles of my feet, and I run straight out to the water. Flash of white, flash, flash in the night, then a crash, a sound, I loud. I didn't hold my nose, water goes straight up it, but once I've snorted it out, I feel the water around my body. Float, float, it's there, still moving, still moving, moving through in the green. It's the lightest gown I've ever worn. I know it's not a gown, but it feels like silk. I try not to think about the plants and the moss, maybe fish, all the natural debris that must be about me. Under the water, out of the water, in, out, no one else about. But my, I, mine, I've seen her. I've seen her. I see. I strike out towards a dinghy, quick and shark-like, slicing through the water with my arms rigid and pointed. They slide in and slice back out in a noisy front crawl I'd never dare do during the day. Slide, swims, cuts, glides, cuts on the side, side of the face, hands, cuts on the fingers like they'd been like she had clawed her way out of, out of the... I stop, a bit breathless, rest one arm on the floating white donut. Don't think about the grime-caked, mossy bottom of it, and kick my legs up, making little splashing circles as I look up. Up, 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 in the... up to the... The sky is darker here, so I can see the stars, though I can't name any, and I can't see a constellation. Connect the point to the... that one. There's the... The combination of my jellyweed legs and floating weightlessly in the water, I am completely lost. I surrender to something. Lost, looking for, find it, found at the, found it, losing my, lost all of my, not got myself. I start swimming again, this time a lazy breaststroke. I'll do one lap and get out, but I'll make it slow. I inch towards the farthest end of the pond where the water's darkest and deepest, and as I do, notice a layer of something coating the water. My hands part tiny black bodies with wings atta attached. A layer of flies coat the surface. I watch as I draw a curtain of them back in the water. One sticks to my lip and I sputter trying to spit it out. Horrified, I, I flap my arms back in the water, putting as much distance as I can between me and the flies. Curl my, grab the fingers around ankle, here, she, her, here, I am here, she is, got to get it, get her, get the, notice me. I'm pushing water back with my hands, lying half on my back, launching my body back to the plateau. Here, she, here, I, this is where, where I happened, when it, when I, what happened, when I can, I get this, just stop. 
my leg catches something. It must have caught something, a weed or a plant or a rope from the dinghy. That's not what it feels like. It, it feels like a... Hand, grab her, get the foot, get the feet, bring her, bring it closer. I try not to think hand, I try not to think fingers. It's dark and I am high and it's been hot all day. I've been drinking in the sun, so don't get carried away now. Now, now, here, now, see, feel me in the water, get the ankle, carry the her out. I'm pulling my leg away, jerking it upwards, telling myself not to panic, as I panic because it feels like fingers. Hand around the drag it down. I kick out with my leg and hit something and I try not to think bone. I try not to think flesh because I'm high and it's been hot, the hottest day of the year so far. So I swim as far and as fast as I'm able and I'm telling myself calm down as I swim and I reach the metal ladder and see my legs emerge one by one, whole and intact, still there, still mine. I stand looking, though it's pointless, into the water, even though it's dark and there's nothing to see and not a ripple stirs across the water. I want to run, and I don't know why, but I, I make myself walk calmly to the other side of the changing room building, where I put my clothes back on, and I can smell the sweat on them. I'm shivering. I don't know if it's the air. Climb on the fence. Walk, walk back, back out, out up the path, up the path. Quickly. quickly there we go wow that last bit gives me shivers it's so scary um how was that for you jordana hearing it out loud that was amazing thank you so much i actually that was the first oh. time that i've heard it out loud read by people and wow what an incredible I feel like I've been spoiled a little bit um because that was just oh. incredible I mean they say that you shouldn't actually you know the first time that you should uh, that you hear your script it shouldn't be read by actors and now I'm kind of like yeah I know why because you've made it sound just fantastic oh, All right, it's, it was such a pleasure reading it I mean it's it's such a mysterious piece in the best of ways um I'm just curious about, did you just say, why did they say not to have actors read a first draft? Yeah, I've never heard that. Yeah. Yeah, so um, it's because um, obviously actors are trained or indeed, you know, have experience of reading scripts and sort of imbuing it with character. Even if it's the first time you're reading it, you're kind of as a performer going, okay, and, and what's the feeling of this and trying to kind of invoke some kind of sense of that with the piece so as a writer if you're hearing your your words for the first time you kind of want somebody to do it a little bit flat so that you can kind of tell whether it's the performance or the words that that is um the kind of yeah so you can just kind of hear the words as is as blankly as possible but obviously that's really dull so Wow, that's really hard. But also, I definitely think there's such a thing as like someone killing your script. Oh, completely. Like, yes. So that's a really tricky test. I've also had it the other way where I've heard some of my scripts spoken by non-actors and just wanted to die. So <laughs> yeah, it's a difficult balance. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But that was incredible. Thank you so much. And all of you, like all of the characters, I just, ah, uh, chills. Whoa. Yay. Well, we love reading it. It's really, um, the conversations, it's really naturalistic. And then the, um, the nameless character really poetic and beautiful. 
It's actually, it's interesting. Thanks. It's, um, I feel like it's a piece that's very open to interpretation. You can imagine that people would react really differently to it, um, which is lovely. I was wondering, could you tell us about your own inspiration for, for the, the play? Does it employ local history or is it completely, uh, you know, fictional, creative? How did the story come to you? Yeah, it's, um, it's not completely fictional. Um, in that there have been a lot of drownings at the ponds and it's yeah. quite a regular um, occurrence, actually. Oh. I think, yeah, it's, wow. which is a little, oh, it's a little well, grim. It does, it does give you chills. It does, yeah. it really does, especially later on, but we won't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of like a, that little extract was sort of a, a taster of what's to come. Um, but yeah, so it, it, it is based on um, on real events. I think the, the latest body that was found was really recently, actually, this year in February. Um, so it's, yeah, super common. And most of the people who have drowned, um, well, at least there's, there's a kind of speculation um, or, I guess, forensic evidence that they um, drowned on nights during the hottest days of the year. Um, wow which is also quite oh creepy. Um, but yeah, I was just kind of fascinated by, if you've been to the ponds or you're a, you're a regular frequenter of the ponds, you'll know that it's always spoken about as this almost like Artemisian, glorious space for women. And it definitely is that, but there's, there is a real sense of uh, like peace and serenity. And it's a really, really beautiful and lovely place to be. And it's normally, um a really a lovely community of people and there's another scene in the play uh where there are multiple voices from multiple different women and that too um is is not strictly fictional in that uh I pretty much spent an entire summer at the ponds and collated conversations that I was overhearing <laughs> into that scene um but I was really fascinated with this fabrication of of place and space and how the stories that we tell ourselves or the stories that are told about spaces can in some ways create them um, even if the reality is somewhat darker than we might mm. expect so that and um, also I'm I'm really fascinated with the relationship um, between women and queer people I'm interested in queer relationships and female friendships um, and that informed the first play that I ever wrote first full-length play um and so I guess this work was sort of a continuation of that that kind of musing on what it is like to have a relationship with somebody that that is really um I guess somewhat codependent question mark um and how to kind of navigate those power imbalances um when both of you don't really want to say what's on your mind to kind of yeah upset upset the balance yeah interesting I'm wondering if are they really good friends maybe this is exactly what you said or is it more than that or is that maybe that's the whole thing that that you're exploring yeah I kind of wanted to leave that up to interpretation ideally that would be kind of a director's uh, prerogative I do like there to be some space mm -hmm. in my work where I kind of go I, I kind of want you to make your own conclusion because it could be a completely different play either way and the characters can be so different and I think either way it works yeah. so um, and and I guess exploring the nuances between the two characters and between their relationship um, is really the thing that I was interested in 
And so I didn't feel like it was necessary to indicate either way because of the ambiguity that often happens or certainly that I've experienced in a lot of female friendships that I've had um, throughout my life of, you know, having this incredibly intense, very close connection with somebody in ways in which your lives start overlapping um, and you don't even notice it's happening sometimes and then you just end up completely intertwined in maybe not a particularly healthy way. It is also such a feature of growing up, I think. So interested in a close friend of yours that yes, you start yeah, to, really as you've been saying, Jordana, it's, you're both intertwined, but and it's unclear where one person begins, the other person or st- ends, the other person begins, you know, and you see this a lot with adolescents as well, but also like old, you know, you start to dress alike. Um, and that's so interesting because that, that can also happen in re- in romantic relationships. So I think it is fascinating that it, ultimately, I suppose, it's up to the viewer or whoever directs the play to decide. But for me, at least listening to it, it felt like the central question between Holly and Ivy was less about the nature of their relationship, really about had they hurt each other and how they were going to go forward, knowing that in a way they had, they've not been completely fair to the to the other, I think. Yes, I yeah, I really love that um, interpretation. And I think you're right. I think it is much more about the pain that they are or aren't inflicting on the other and um, and kind of speculating on what past hurts are also lying beneath the surface <laughs> um, and kind of how how that's playing into uh, into their relationship as well because I think you're right in terms of that is also very present in romantic relationships that you you kind of um, you know if you're not if you're not kind of aware of the things that you're being triggered um, or the trauma that is kind of coming to the surface I'm going to keep using these terrible terrible uh, puns but um, I love it. <laughs> it's um, I think it's quite hard to be uh, so so honest with one another if you're constantly trying to navigate around the unsaid things hmm Actually, sorry, we're going going off on a bit of a tangent now, but it struck me just then hearing it um, when Ivy is in the water, how she says, oh, Holly would probably describe it much better. And um, I was like, oh, so she does respect her because kind of it's interesting in the dialogue. I'm like, wow, she is just like thinks she's completely ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, that was interesting how she kind of the like lying. Almost. Yeah, I think it's um, I think that moment for her really belies some kind of insecurity for her that she feels is being brought up by Holly being so open with her work and with her kind of I I guess creativity that she just she she wants to write everything down and she wants to kind of you know be creative and just kind of do it and I think Ivy maybe resents that a little bit see I'm reading too much into it Mm -hmm. like a director now I've got to stop doing that (laughs) (laughs) um you mentioned just before um, we got onto this subject um, of the the characters who are the the numbered characters who you kind of hear make the community um, at the ponds and um, also in your other play that we have read um, that the the listeners probably won't have read um, Living Alone you have numbered characters who who have dialogue around the progression of the story although I think in the other one it's more directly related um but 
what do they represent for you probably different each time yeah I think it's I think it's both yeah I think in both plays the numbered characters sort of make up this cacophony of um sort of like a culture in the background of the action so they're sort of um building on the voices in the play that we that we get to know but they are there as a sort of cultural backdrop for the places that those characters inhabit and so I didn't want to be too I mean in Living Alone then the numbered characters do have names but I just don't refer to them by their names in the script um and I wanted that to be quite specific in the sense of I I didn't want performers coming to the script to go oh and this numbered character is Polly and she's 26 and she's you know I think it's much more of a sense of who are they in the kind of greater social um dynamics of the play who do they represent really and I think in in Beneath the numbered characters really represent this community of women and the space of the ponds they're really there to kind of build up the the sense of yeah person the people who go to the ponds who are they what does the ponds represent which is this at least in my mind and I think in the play this sort of um intelligentsia in paradise a lot of the time that it has this kind of quality to it that um is both really ethereal and really magical and on some level kind of dark and disturbing there's a sense that you know it's still part of the the natural um kind of ecology of the heath and on some level is quite untamed untamable but um within the kind of social structure of north london life the ponds occupies a very specific place and I think, like, I kind of wanted to capture a little bit of that. I think it's so interesting. The the numbered characters, to me, also sort of remind me of the chorus in Greek theatre. Um, not so much because they're commenting on what's happening, but because of that unified voice where you're sort of unsure, is each of them an archetype or are they together? Sort of? I mean, I'm sort of leaning that together they're, they're an archetype and that the numbers sort of allow them to do, them, do that. I don't know if, how much sort of Greek... Yes, I love that. I love the, yes, I love the allusion to Greek chorus. I think that's definitely what I was going for. You can yeah. feel it. I mean, there is a sort of Greek vibe throughout it all, you know, we think about that. You mentioned, and I think, the, and also there's mm. the nymphs that live in the river. We also yes. wanted to ask you if, if you have a, it's probably difficult, do you have a favourite moment in the play? Or one that you find that, that you hold particularly dear? I, I do, do actually, actually love, love that, that scene. scene. It's, it's lucky, lucky, really, really um, that, that that was part, part of the extract that was picked. But, but that, that is probably my favourite scene between um, Nameless and Ivy in the, in the ponds. ponds that, that um, you know, we hear her describe her experience, her experience to Holly, and, and then it's very different um, experiencing it from her perspective um, as, as it's happening in real time, and obviously the kind of foreboding sense of this kind of ghostly strange otherworldly creature inhabiting that place um really changes the dynamic of what was supposed to be a secret nighttime swim yeah wow um 
So just going more general, um, I think you mentioned it at the beginning, um, but how did you begin uh, your life as a writer? <laughs> um, I actually began writing for stage quite accidentally and somewhat by necessity. Uh, so I was president of my student drama society, Loki Flex, <laughs> and <Very> um, <laughs> although if anyone's been a president of a student drama society, they'll know it's uh, not a position anyone really wants. Um, so we were planning on putting a performance forward for the London Student Drama Festival, and we put out a call out for people to send in their scripts. And we were getting very excited to read through them. And we received no submissions. Damn. And the deadline was approaching. And so I said to my, um, well, the producer of what was going to be the show, let's just put something down. Let's just put something down on the application form. We'll just write a random name and we'll just, we'll figure it out from there. So we decided to write down knowledge is power, which is Soas's motto. Ah. And um, we were like, we don't know. It sounds vague. Sounds vague. And at the time, there was a lot of kind of vague dystopian plays going on. Um, so I think The Children was at the Royal Court mm. by Lucy Kirkwood. I think uh, 1984 had just debuted at the Playhouse. Uh, I think Rob Icke's Hamlet with the very ominous noise um was at the Almeida and there was just all of these theatre tropes around like dystopia and these strange environmental things happening in the background that nobody really mentions in any great detail so we were like we'll just say it's about that and um we ended up writing a version of the show and very embarrassingly it won the competition nice um, so <laughs> it was um yeah that was a, a fun experience and from then we sort of thought well, we've done pretty well with this. Let's expand the show. So I expanded it to an hour. We took it to the Fringe that summer. It bombed. That was a great experience. Genuinely learned an awful lot. Um, I think a bad Fringe can be just as mm. informative as a good Fringe, as anybody who's taken a play there will know. Um, and yeah, I actually decided that I really enjoyed writing scripts. Um, it's funny because I, I used to write little sketches as a child for my very own radio station <laughs> that uh, I made on a like a sort of teeny tiny tape recorder that I used to carry around. Um, so I, yeah, I, I used to write some sketches, but never really full length plays until that point. So that's how I, I so got that's into such a great the story. That's <laughs> Uh, you mentioned, Jordana, you mentioned uh, Lucy Kirkwood and the, also the Playhouse staging in 1984, which leads us nicely into the an, another question we wanted to ask, which is if you had any playwrights, not necessarily favourite ones, but ones that you particularly, uh, are, you're, that you're inspired by or, you know, that you admire. Yeah, I've uh, I've got quite a few, as as I think any, any writer must, right? Yeah. Like I think whether you're conscious of it or not, you're always kind of imbibing the things that you experience and watch and that does sort of feed into um, into your work. I mean, quite exposingly, actually, I, I realised while I was listening to um, to this 
extract that you read so beautifully that um that my maybe penchant for uh, Carol Churchill was pretty evident. <laughs> I do love Carol Churchill and sort of Martin Crimp and Duncan Macmillan and um, Ella Hicks and yeah, Lucy Kirkwood as well. Um, and Miriam Batty as well, um, who had, who was, uh, who shows scenes with girls was on at the court um, in the beginning of 2020. It was one of the last shows that I saw live and in person. And I'm so grateful that I did um, because if you're kind of interested in a show that also investigates female friendship and investigates power dynamics in queer relationships, that's one for you. Um, so yeah, those are those are my, I guess, top top playwright inspirations. Um, so when when theatres do open back up again, uh, what theatre are you most excited to go to? So this is an easy one for me because I am low-key obsessed with Regent's Park Open Air Theatre. Cool. Uh, in case you couldn't tell from beneath, I am very interested in the intersection between performance and uh, natural space. And I think just the experience of going there is always incredibly magical. It's um, It's a space that doesn't really exist elsewhere. You've got this kind of intersection of theatre and live performance, being in a literal park and the kind of ever-present knowledge that you are in nature um, and then also you're in the middle of the city which is a nice kind of fusion but in terms of watching new material I'm obviously very excited for places like The Gate and The Court and Soho to open mm. up and I just kind of hope that uh, along with all of the commercial cash grabs that I've already seen happening, uh, that there will be space for uh, new material and new artists and people who are attempting to fuse lots of different genres and performance styles together um, and kind of moving away from this idea of uh, what theatre has to be or kind of what works as a product to sell. Um, mm. So I'm I'm hoping that some of those venues will kind of take that on and we'll, we'll get to see lots of exciting new inspirational pieces soon. Yes, for sure. Me too. Um, well, it'd be cool to see, it'd be cool to see your play actually at um, the Hampstead Women's Ponds. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> that would be That amazing. would be incredible. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of disappointed last summer at the kind of lack of outdoor theatre, because I thought if there's anything that's easy to stage, well, I, I guess not if it's like a huge production, but I just think, you know, moving away from traditional theatrical spaces might be one of the ways theatre moves forward. And thinking about, yeah, performance in in non, non-traditional space or just, yeah, impromptu theatre or something. It'll be, I think yeah. it will be fascinating to see because this, over the past year we've been theatre has, has ha kind of had to move closer to film because, you know, we've been watching so much online and streamed, which on the one hand has been wonderful during the months that we couldn't actually go into theatres. But I, I think my sense is that we're, we're just itching, we're itching to see, see things that are live and performed and, and maybe more now than ever, open air theatre, not just because it's, it might be safer for a while, but because we've been so disconnected 
from the outdoors. And so, you know, to use a trendy word, they sort of disembodied. Um, so I think there might be, be interesting. There's, a, there's an arts organization, Art Angel in London. I think it does specifically cite uh, specific things and many others. It'll be interesting to see where they, where they go forward when things start opening up. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And um, I was recently on a directing course with Casey Mitchell, who was talking about how much she wanted to move towards ecofeminism in her work. And I think that you see everybody on the Zoom scribbling furiously, going, oh, must find out more about ecofeminism. But um, yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, we probably will see a lot more theatre, whether it's actually in site-specific performances or just in general about climate crisis. I think that's definitely a, a space that theatre is moving towards. But you're right in what you say. I, I think there's a real hunger to get together. And, the, I mean... The key thing about theatre is that it is a space and a means of social bonding. It's a place to forge connection. It's all about connection. So I, I hope that that's the place that we lead from going forwards. Speaking of going forwards, do you have any other projects that you're working on at the moment? I do, always. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so speaking of the future of theatre, uh, I'm currently working on a performance protest called Theatre is Dead, um, and we are still taking submissions for it. So uh, if you have an idea uh, for on the topic of Theatre is Dead and you have an idea for a performance or you have a performance or a script, um, and this can be anything, honestly, across the board, cabaret, drag, theatre, um, and it's been rejected from an arts institution, then please send it to our email, which I think is wankersno at gmail.com with a four instead of an A in wankers. Um, so I'm working on that Brilliant. primarily. Yes. Yeah, moving forwards. Yeah. Um, can I just ask another question? This is sort of please um, on behalf of uh, Hannah, who's normally here. Um, I know we just had a very good conversation about um, theatre being outdoors and making use of other spaces, but we also could really imagine this as a, as a short film. And there's something about like the intimacy you can find in a short film. And um, like in the scene with um, Ivy and Nameless, it would be great to experience that really up close and also see the, the nature that they are in up close. Um, could, could you imagine yeah, that? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And it's actually something that I've been thinking about specifically with this piece, which I think you're right, probably would work. Um, well, well, I was kind of thinking about adapting it for a screenplay mm. for a short film instead, um, or indeed would work as you just uh, as you just delivered it or as an audio play, probably. Um, but yeah, I would be definitely very interested um, in doing that. I've recently had sort of my first real foray into putting my work on film just with a few uh, sketches and things that my friend Belle and I have been doing. And it's a completely different world. Yeah. I will say that. Um, it's yeah, quite daunting to go, well, I know how this would look on a stage, um, but I don't know about the film aspect but um I think just because there are so many elements and film requires such planning and really close attention to detail which I think for something like Beneath 
as you said, because of the intimacy between the characters, I think probably could work really well. So yeah, I'd be super interested in seeing an adaptation of it to film. I could also even imagine it being in some sort of installation, you know, where it's a mix of audio, but also documentary footage of the ponds and so on. I can, you know, I can, I can imagine I it in a gallery. That. Well, we've got yeah, lots that's to think about. Idea. Yeah, loads to think about. Yeah, I mean, I would love to expand on these thoughts because this is just... Yeah, this is so fantastic. See, this is why I love theatre, because you come in and everybody just starts collaborating. And I'm like, yes, oh my God, let's get all of the ideas. Well, to everyone that's listening, hopefully we'll be able to do it. Hopefully we'll be able to do a follow-up, you know, in the months to come. Yes. That would be wonderful. That would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And thank you so much for all of you. Honestly, that was just (laughs) so incredible. I was like, I didn't want it to end. I was like, oh my God so good (laughs) thank you such a pleasure yeah thank you massive thank you to Jordana for letting us share her work with you all and if you have enjoyed what you've heard please do check her out on Instagram at chronically untimely and also like the email address wankers no on Instagram wankers with a four for an a (laughs) so fun being able to say wanker so many times with such clarity it's a great name (laughs) (laughs) um yes and also feel free to give our social media channels a follow uh listeners if you want to keep up keep up to date with further projects multi-story productions is on twitter and instagram at multi-story prod p-r-o-d and if you'd like to submit your writing or music on the show, then please drop us an email at submissions at multistoryproductions.co.uk. And our new track for today is from Ophelia Ray Lester. Um, the song is called Medicine Man, and you can find her at Ophelia underscore Ray underscore Lester. Ruled by the sun I was a child of Neptune in the desert running Like my disciple to turn dust to gold to buy silent tongues What do my lovers make of me? To another in my eyes holy as I'd have to believe I'm just too
you so much. <laughs> Thank you all. Okay, are we stopping that? Yeah. Okay, okay yeah. stop. Stop. It's the uh, say fini.